Welcome to the Uphill Athlete Podcast. Our mission is to elevate and inspire all mountain athletes through education and celebration. My name is Alyssa Clark, and I will be your host today. I'm excited to bring back Pete Dickinson, one of our resident physios on the Uphill Athlete team. Pete is here to help us break down common questions and concerns from trail runners and keep you happy, healthy, and out on the trails. So Pete, thanks for joining us. Uh, it's my pleasure. I love doing these and it's uh, these are topics uh, very near and dear to my heart. Well, what have you uh, been up to recently? We can give the listeners a little update. Well, as most of us, I've been recovering from COVID. Uh, but beyond that, um, I uh, sneak up in the mountains. Uh, I'm in, uh, in uh, the Northwest in Washington State uh, by the Cascades. And like many of us in the mountains, dealing with, uh, uh, with the fires and limited access at times. But um, I just in, enjoy the mountains um, and playing out there and um, yeah, get out as much as I can. Awesome. Yeah, I actually just had the chance. I'd never been up to the Goat Rocks area and oh, yeah. I just had the chance to go up there and it is absolutely beautiful. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What a, an amazing area. Yeah, that's that's uh, right close to the Pacific Crest Trail, too. We were on it. Right through, yeah. Which goes right through uh, my town as well. Oh, cool. OK. Um, yeah, we actually had the chance to run into um, Carl Sabe, who was out doing the PCT record. So we got to run with him for about eight miles or so. Yeah, that that was quite the fast record. Just insane. Yeah, that would be an interesting, interesting uh, case study to bring him on and see how he managed that. Yeah, well, a lot of our listeners are, are managing, you know, their events and their goals, and they have a lot of passion uh, that they bring to the table. And like most of us, they're impatient when things go wrong and we ding ourselves up. Uh, uh, and yeah, we want to maybe give them a little bit of insight into all that. Definitely. So yeah, let's get right into it. Um, common injuries. What do you see happening for trail runners? What do you see the most? And how do we prevent these injuries? And then we'll get into how do you treat them? Yeah. So, so it's a long list, right? Um, trail running and all running is basically, uh, you're hopping on one foot with a rest period from the other foot pushing off. And if you think about that, to hop for miles and miles on one foot, that's a lot of load. That's really hard on your whole structure. So, um, no wonder it takes so much time to, uh, expose ourselves to that activity to get good at it. You know, you get good at what you do. Um, uh, but there's, a, a lot of, uh, focus that goes into that. Um, and I'm a big uh, proponent of having coaching for that. And that's why I love, uh, uh, uphill athlete because you guys are amazing. Um, and you make, uh, make me have to work a lot less because most of the injuries are training errors. It's going at it. Um, your progression in what you add in distance, terrain, intensity, um, you know, our body only has about a 10% ability to adapt to load more than 10%. It tends to react and, and break down. And we're always pushing that, 
that envelope and, and uh, injuring things. And, and the list goes is everything. It's a lot of tendon injuries because you're hopping on one foot. Um, uh, there's foot injuries, plantar fasciitis. I get asked about a lot. Um, tightnesses. Um, the big one is spine care. In, in my work with um, with uh, our, our Olympians in winter sport uh, and and athletes of that nature, it's uh, a lot of my care is basically just spine care because running is really hard on the back and it's it's fairly unrecognized. So yeah, those are. I mean, we can go on and on, but those are. I know the, it keeps uh, going. I'm in injury sites that I get asked about a lot. Okay. And then how do you, or what are some of your, I guess we'll get to that further down um, of prevention, but how do you go about treating some of these injuries if they do happen? Because I think, I mean, I always say that if my, I sometimes I get concerned because some of my clients, I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not just giving you the same training. It's just like slight tweaks every week. Cause there's a gradual nature where I don't want to all of a sudden, like, why is there a six hour run that I've never, I haven't done a run longer than three hours before. Like if you're seeing massive changes and variations in your trading, that's actually a problem because your body, as you said, that 10% can't handle. So it should be just be like incremental changes um, to be. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Like I said, most injuries are training errors. And so what I'll do when I'm working with the patients, we'll look back and go over their training in depth and, and pick out any of the nuances that, that have, have changed. It could be something as simple, more stress in their personal life. That adds a physical load to you, emotional stress, uh, work stress. And so you have to be cognizant of that uh, in your training progressions. But of course, uh, the classic is, is, is uh, upping your time or, or mileage. Uh, a significant amount, or uh, it could be more more of a downhill run than you've had before, uh, things of that nature. So, so um, small changes over a long period of time is the name of the game. You want to be progressive to improve, but training is a biological process, and at the cellular level to change that takes time. So what we do is, is we, we have a, a, a training stimulus. Your body um, takes that stress and does this really cool thing. It's called mechanotransduction. It, it takes that physical stress and turns it into a chemical reaction, which then feeds back into our system and creates changes in the tissue to be a little bit stronger. Um, and that's, that's where then we gain performance. So we, we got to let that process happen. And it's a slow process. Um, and there's two components to it. It's the stimulus, um, the stress that we apply. But then it's also the, the recovery, the, the other half of the coin where our body um, mobilizes um, resources to uh, create change in that tissue. And that's maybe part of the process that we don't give enough credence to and enough attention to. That's the other half. Uh, of the coin here. And if we're shorting our recovery, we're not gaining the benefits of all the training that we're doing. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if you think about the percentage of time you have to recover versus the percentage of time that you're running, 
you should be really focusing on recovery. I mean, that's the majority of the time. We aren't running, well, most of us aren't running, you know, half the day, uh, or at least we should not be for trading purposes. So recovery is super key. And we'll, we'll definitely get into that more. Um, but I wanted, I want to dive into, I guess, probably the number one, and then maybe we'll get to the second one. Number one injury I hear from runners, which is plantar fasciitis. I guess, how does that occur and how do you treat it? Because I see this come up all the time in our group chats and things like that. All most injuries are training errors. So plantar fasciitis is, is no difference, uh, but it's a sneaky one. It's multifactorial because there are a lot of things that, that, that play into it, make us uh, susceptible uh, to having that arch pain. But first and foremost, training errors. If you haven't had plantar fasciitis in your training and it develops, it's most likely due um, you've exceeded that 10% rule. Now, things that predispose you to getting it uh, can be um, genetics, you know, blame your parents, always, you know. Uh, always, that's, yep. Yeah, good luck with that. And because um, it could be uh, your bone structure uh, causes you um, to have a little bit more torsion in your lower leg, forcing you into more pronation, which um, is stressing all those, all those tissues. Um, so there could be that. It's multifactorial. So you have everyone's individual uh, in and what's causing their plantar fascia. So I can't give a, a global statement. I'll see people with uh, spine injuries where the back of their leg is getting tightened up from uh, their, uh, the nerves getting activated and stimulated, causing some micro tension. That'll create more, more tension through the lower leg, pulling on the plantar fascia, um, injuring that. So it's your foot's killing you, but it's coming from your it causes, maybe from your back. Um, also with training, we have little micro injuries in our tissue, which causes tightness in our tissue and, and actually it's tightness in your fascia and like 60 or 70% of your force transmission going down your leg is transmitted through this fascia. It's just covering around all your muscle fibers and tissues. And so when that gets tight, it changes the, the force vector of the line of pull and that wigs out your plantar fascia. So you have to spend a lot of time rolling, create your train or fix your training errors and, and doing that. So there's a lot of different causes. A lot of people want to go. It's, oh, it's my shoes. Yeah. You can pack out your shoes and reduce their effectiveness in whatever they're doing for you. Um, and you should be cognizant of that. Have I listed enough things? I could keep going maybe. No, no, that's great. So then how, so say someone comes into your office, it's definitely plantar fasciitis. Um, what are you doing to help them um, on the other side? Because I think that's yeah, something so, people, yeah. Right. How do we treat it? Well, it depends on what the cause is. So if it's, uh, okay. if I, uh, if we put them through some uh, spine tests and we see that their nerves are, are, um, uh, are very uh, activated and stimulated, and um, uh, then we can treat the spine. If it's uh, localized uh, muscle tightness, um, then we can do a lot of rolling, which I like to do, which helps um, increase the temperature of the fascia and releases the bonds of the fascia and creates more mobility that way. People do better rolling for tightness than stretching 
in general. Um, little known fact. So interesting. Uh, yeah. Most of your restrictions are probably fascially oriented uh, rather than just trying to stretch lengthen a muscle. Um, okay. So yeah, we'll do that. We'll also go over their footwear and, and if we need to address that, we can do that. Uh, running form uh, and some folks uh, are predisposing them to having foot pain. Uh, then as always, training errors. Have they progressed too quickly? Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. I was always told to use a lacrosse ball that you put in the freezer. Do you? Ooh, yeah. Well, I mean, that can get localized cold uh, to the area uh, pretty effectively. Um, but we want to um, make sure, like with the lacrosse balls, that we aren't creating uh, more inflammation because we're traumatizing the tissue. And, and, gotcha. I, and I should mention that probably one of the number one uh, activities I do to treat plantar fasciitis is hip strengthening. Because uh, because you're hopping on one leg repeatedly, and this goes for most injuries of the lower extremity, you're not strong enough for running. And your hip controls the forces going down into your foot. So single leg strengthening, not double leg, because right when you're running, you're on one leg. It's a one leg activity. And so you want to strengthen, um, do single leg strengthening. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. I, we always recommend single leg strength and we'll get into that more. Um, yeah, your, your programs are great for that. Try to be, um, that's something actually that's interesting. So we get people who say, oh, I just really dig into it super deeply because it starts feeling better, but you brought up that you can traumatize it more. What's kind of that balance? Yeah, you want to warm up the tissue. It's a it's a friction game. So uh, to um, uh, to resolve tightness through because of fascial tightness and, and irritation, um, the bonds that uh, are formed in the fascia are temperature um, uh, dependent. That you increase the temperature, the bonds release. So it's just a friction game with a little bit of movement in there. So that's why rolling on on, on balls, but maybe not bricks and uh, foam rolls are great. Um, we have small four inch balls that are inflatable that we like. Um, you can use volleyballs, basketballs, something with just a little bit of give. Um, uh, so it's not too painful that you'll actually maybe keep doing it. That's fair. This is maybe, this is a little bit off the cuff, so maybe I'll catch you by surprise. Um, I love run, Running form. That's something I've always, it's really controversial. Um, I've always leaned on the side of not changing things if they work, but that's also great until they it stops working. So I'm curious your thoughts on tinkering with people's running form and how you should be thinking about that. Well, it's a tool, right? Um, and it, it's in our quiver. Uh, we want to shift loads um, around to different areas. Um, or you can work on making their existing form more efficient and track work is great for that. Um, but uh, doing drastic changes in form, like taking someone from a heel striker to a, um, a midfoot or four foot striker, 
is a difficult process. And sometimes we think about the research tells that tells us that we switch um, uh, injuries from one area and put it in another area. So there is that, but it's a definite tool um, uh, that we, we should be open about, but it's a, to make big changes is a, a long and difficult process. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because, um, you know, I've had some people, you know, you get the whole uh, movement of uh, born to run and all of that, where everyone wants now, to be we're talking religion now. Yeah, yeah, oh, man, careful. I know. I know. You have to be careful where everyone wants to be, um, you know, a four foot striker. They all want to be up on their toes. And I have a lot of people who say like, oh, yeah, I switched to toe running. It's so much better. Um and then they have massive Achilles issues or calf issues. Right. And I'm like, yeah, I, oh, yep, yes. don't do that, please. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I like to be more highly evolved, but um, maybe yeah. uh, running form might not be the, the path for that. Yeah, I would agree. Um, so road running versus trail running. What do you see for different injuries that occur um and what are your recommendations of kind of mixing in both Ooh, that's a that's a good question um they're kind of um uh, uh totally different um creatures aren't they uh uh we like trail running because the decrease um uh ground reaction forces coming up the impact forces are moderated a bit um, and there's more variability um, in in the movement uh, and what's coming through the foot and ankle. And we like that. When you have just the same thing over and over and over, um, uh, it doesn't give you a lot of variability uh, in function. Um, you become a one-trick pony almost. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of how I, how I look at it. Um, people because of where they live, you know, they're, um, they're relegated to, um, more pavement running. Um, and then I think you have to be actually smarter about, uh, uh, the forces and the recovery, cause you're going to have more micro trauma, uh, coming into your tissues, um, from the pavement running, uh, forces are going to be coming up into your, uh, lower extremities in a quicker fashion, more forceful fashion. So, um, you have to be, aware of that in your recovery and which affects your frequency and duration as well. Yeah. I just think it's something, I mean, I always advocate when people say, Oh, I'm always injured from running. I'm like, try trail running. It's probably going to work out better for you. Um, but some people just don't have the time. So, um, they're stuck on roads or have to do it more. Um, yeah. So I think it's just interesting of like a, a stronger awareness that road will have a higher impact on you. Yeah. It's, it's a different creature for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So we've talked a bit about um, strength, but what are your recommendations for strength training for runners um, for preventing injury? Uh, well, I really like, progressing over a period of time, uh, all based on your comfort level with heavy loaded, um, lifting, 
um, because doing either a heavy deadlift or heavy single leg step down or a squat um, helps build up um, the uh, toughness in your in your in your tendons and um, tendons with they get a lot of repetition they get a lot of impact and they need to be strong and and it's the heavy loads that stress the tendons and the thing with um, all of us in endurance sports we're not really oriented on the strength towards the strength side of things but strength is your pathway to longer distance more fatigue resistance and less injury um, it also is a, a basic component of good health uh, especially as we age as a um, active individual um, and so it's going to keep us more injury free it's going to keep us in our sport longer and with more enjoyment uh, so I, I can't emphasize enough the value of a strength practice um, in your life. And what are some of your go-to exercises within that strength training that you'd like to see athletes doing? Uh, deadlift, which is a hip hinge, which emphasizes the back of your leg, your hip, your hamstring, your calf, uh, your foot and ankle. Uh, we'd like to do that. Um, both in two legs because we can manage a lot of weight, but then we also like to do it in one leg and you can do either a step down or a, a single leg deadlift. Um, there's a bunch of exercises that you can do in one leg um, uh, that um, prepare you for first sports where you're just pushing off of one leg, uh, be it trail running, uh, road running, uh, skiing, um, yeah biking, a lot of activities you're pushing through just one leg at a time. What about core specific? Okay. So the, the, yeah. So the other thing is, remember what I said is a majority of injuries I'm treating on the road with our elite sport teams are spine injuries. And um, so we want to have a strong core and a, a lot of heavy lifting involves, um, having a really strong and tight core. Uh, heavy lifting is a tension game. It's a core game. You have to have a strong trunk to support the heavy loads. And so uh, heavy lifting promotes a good, strong core. Um, doing an overhead press, an overhead lift, also really uh, is activates your core um, in, the, uh, in the most maximal fashion. All the studies show that. So, and, and as endurance sports, a lot of times we're not pushing weight overhead, but we should. And it's really good also for our posture. We have great, um, uh, much better posture stability uh, with performing an overhead lift. Now, good posture is also important in long distance running. Once you start collapsing and aren't able to maintain a good platform for your legs to operate underneath, uh, then your performance really suffers. So there's there's a bunch of reasons uh, 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 for having an overhead lift uh, in your program. Uh, for core training, a lot of people, uh, we like doing a lot of planks and side planks um, uh, to keep our trunk uh, rigid and strong. To get in the weeds here, a little bit of Turkish getup for a movement core strengthening exercise is one of our favorites. A couple dance moves involved in that, but that's a that's an awesome uh, 
loaded activity. And that covers a lot of bases, just that one movement. So, so if I were to think about my core, I'd be doing a Turkish get up overhead lifts and, um, and making sure I'm picking up something heavy with good form. Yes. Yeah. Turkish get-ups are no joke. They are very tricky. They're yeah. hard to do right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so definitely. It's a whole body exercise. If you just had time to do one lift, it'd be the Turkish get-up. Definitely. And have someone watch you do it that knows what they're doing because there's a lot of ways to do it wrong. <laughs> well, with, with all of this stuff, it helps to have a coach, right? I said, you know, most of our problems come from training errors. A coach helps you with that. It also helps you with form during movements and so that we don't get injured dur during those movements. You know, as um, once, uh, uh, once you start adulting and you're out of a team environment, uh, you don't have that staff of people to support you in your activities. But we may be spending many, many hours uh, in a sport, um, but unsupported. So it's important to have a team around you, uh, to have a coach, uh, to have uh, mental health support, uh, to have nutrition support. All these are, are, you know, very helpful. Definitely. I mean, Pete and I were talking right before this that the stronger and bigger, well, thoughtful you can build your team, um, the, the better you'll do because these sports are not sole endeavors. I think that we see that more and more. And so the, the stronger your team is around you, the more they can help in a variety of situations. And I think that's something personally I've been able to figure out um, a lot more is that as I've gotten further into the sport and um, strove for higher performances that uh, I need a team. And I need to know when things are going downhill to access and activate my team to to step in and help me. Um, so it's super key. Yeah, Alyssa, thanks for sharing that. You know, there's also a, a big community out there, people um, that you can tap into. Um, and that's what I love about the uphill athlete community and outdoor sports um, is we're, we're all out there because we love it. Um, and a lot of people are struggling with the same things. Uh, and it's in, important to have that community around us that we can reach out to when we need to support others when they need it. Uh, and that, that makes for a good life. It does. Yeah, I think it's one of the best parts of it. And that's something um, I know personally is very important to me as I've had a lot of people step up and say, let me help. And that I try to do the same for others. Um, and Pete, I know you're very generous with your time and resources as well. And so I guess it's like, hey, we're here. You know, if you're if you're wondering or have questions, um, at least I'm here. I know Pete's here like Uphill wants to support people. I mean, that's that's so much of why we we do this is to help each other succeed, um, which is really. Yeah, it's, I think community has always been one of the most important parts of all of these sports to me. Um and I, it's nice to, to know you have other people have your back and you have their back too. Yeah. Yeah. The staff here, you know, we, we all want you to achieve your goals and, and, and help you along that. And, and we get as much back from that, uh, in, in any way that we can help, uh, that, that we give out. So, um, for all the listeners, you know, please reach out with your questions and, uh, 
you know, we have a real investment in you being uh, safe and enjoyable about all your uphill endeavors. Absolutely. So this is actually a question uh, that I think we're seeing become more relevant is that as you're getting into super mountainous races, as you're getting into longer distances, people are really relying on poles. So how do you see using poles? Do you see injuries coming from that more so? Um, yeah, I'm curious how that's come up because I'm seeing yeah, it as, no. um, yeah. That's a great question. That's a great question because, um, because there's two sides to that coin, right? There's a performance aspect of that. Um, but there's another side. I, you know, as a physical therapist, I always want uh, people to express the highest function they can and not to be, not that for that to be dummied down and blocked and prevented. And so I think a lot of hiking for pole with poles, when you don't need to hike with a pole, um, uh, you are limiting, uh, your, your other balanced processes to occur. You know, you're relying on the poles too much. So there's that side and I whine about that and, and there's that side of things. However, from we know from a performance standpoint, um, for the ultra hikers and when you're doing it for long periods of time, it helps um, uh, shift some of the load to the upper extremities um, and help uh, with uh, the fatigue you would get in your legs. So there's benefit with that. Absolutely. Uh, when you're going for hours at a time from racing, when you're using poles, uh, again, you're allowing your um, your your upper extremities to uh, assist um, with some of the force production um, as well as balance and fatigue over a period of time. Uh, but then, if you haven't been training that, or it, you put do put it at risk with uh, your elbow um, and your shoulder uh, coming into play. Uh, for more injury. So you get good at what you do. So if you're going to be doing that um, uh, at a quick pace, you need to be training using them at a quick pace. And for sure, um, strength training helps your fatigue tolerance, makes you more fatigue resistant. So you should be doing strength training for the upper extremities to support that tissue. So then it just becomes a, a training issue. Yeah, no, totally. I'm actually a proponent of what you said about not using poles all the time, um, because I think that there's tremendous uh, benefit to working on that leg strength, working on that core strength without poles. Um, also, poles break. And so sometimes you might be uh, SOL uh, at a race or another event because your pole broke. Um, so I am a proponent of practicing with them. I'm also a proponent of not always using them as the crutch as well. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm on that side of the coin uh, as well. It's good to develop your capacities um, safely to, uh, to their fullest extent. And if you're taking uh, your ability to balance on one leg um, without assist, if you're never doing that, then I, I think that's a lost skill that, that you'll miss at some point. I agree. It, especially since I'm just about to teach at a fall prevention uh, uh, activity uh, for seniors in a couple of days. So your single leg uh, balance is really key, but uh, this population, uh, different issues. Yeah, different issues, but. Although we're um, Yeah. 
So one of the things that you've mentioned previously is tendonitis. So where do you see tendonitis the most in runners? Why does it occur? And then how do we try to prevent it? Okay, to be pedantic again, all injuries are, most injuries are training errors. So your tendon injuries are, are no different. Um, it's usually because of an overload situation. You've exposed them to uh, repetition or loads that they weren't prepared for. Um, and my most common tendon injuries are Achilles tendonitis, but we'll see it, uh, um, patellar tendonitis uh, as well, um, super common. Uh, and so we've got to get that, um, that tendon stronger is the name of the game. It's not getting it. I mean, we'll, we'll do mobility work and fascial work because that does feed into the tendon. But it's if we can get them stronger, that's really going to help. But the, if you've had ten, severe tendonitis, you've got portions of the tendon that are no longer tolerating taking load. And that ship is sailed. They're never going to like taking load. So what you have to do is get the surrounding fibers stronger to take the load and you won't be painful as much anymore. And guess what? To get something stronger, you have to go through a strengthening process. And especially the Achilles tendon, it doesn't like to get strong right away. So we start with um, uh, isometrics, doing a calf raise hold. And, that, and we start this process and then we start exposing it to more and more load, doing it with just one leg for a longer period of time, um, on and on until we get it uh, stronger. Uh, but we, I... I don't like to rest these. We want to get them stronger, right? When you rest, you rot. So um, now let's pull that away from the recovery discussions. But uh, for tendons, uh, we want to uh, find a point where we can start loading them and then we're off to the races uh, to get them areas around the damaged parts of the tendon stronger. Excellent. Yeah, that's super helpful. Um... Oh, shoot. I was going to say something. Yep. It's totally, it's gone. Maybe it will come back later. <laughs> yep. Sometimes it just goes out the window. That's okay. Um, this is good. We're covering a lot of ground here. We really are. Um, and that goes to you rest, you rot, but that's different than recovery. So recovery, we mentioned it at the top of, of the podcast, but what what are your best recommendations for recovery? Why is this so important to training, especially I think in in running? Well, like what we said before, you have a training stimulus and we want to get all the benefit of all that energy we put into our interval day or a long run day. Um, and we create you know a bunch of fatigue. We want to make sure that that pays dividends. But if we just uh, launch right back into additional training without letting these systems recover, we're not going to gain the benefit of that stimulus. And so we have the stimulus, but we need our body to be able to have time to turn that, that, um, that, uh, that mechanical stress to a chemical reaction and rebuild uh, the tissues to be stronger so we have better performance. So um, that takes time, uh, but we can do some things to help that. Now, St um, training is, uh, 
really stimulating the sympathetic nervous system uh, maximally. And these are processes in our body that that gear up all of our all of our uh, energy resources to producing activity. Um, now, the, there's another side of that coin. It's called your parasympathetic nervous system, and this is uh, your your repair and regeneration side of the coin. And we want to get that side stimulated so that we get the benefit from the sympathetic stimulus. Now, we can actually get that parasympathetic system uh, geared up uh, through some specific things, and a lot of it is uh, through the uh, vagal nerve stimulation and uh, there are a few things that we can actively do to to stimulate the vagal nerve. And that is, number one is probably deep, slow breathing. Um, at about a, you know, five or six breaths per minute, it's a pretty slow rate, breathing in slowly and exhaling even for a little bit longer period of time. And that stimulates the vagus nerve, uh, which is really cool. The other thing is we have baroreceptors deep in our tissue, which are tied into that the parasympathetic nervous system and doing rolling on the foam roll or deep massage will also stimulate that activity. So I tell my athletes, you know, after that interval session, after that long run, I want you to spend 10 minutes deep breathing as well as rolling. And you're, you're then matching, you're pairing your stimulus with your sympathetic nervous stimulus with your parasympathetic uh, nervous system support. And that's how you can get the most out of your training. Excellent. I will add that to my, my uh, tool of, uh, or toolbox of things to, things to do after runs. Yeah. Do that so, after your big day. And it doesn't take very yeah. long, right? Um, yeah, 10 and minutes. it actually feels good to do these activities. So, um, should be fairly reinforcing to, to get to it. Excellent. No, that's great. I hope, I hope, uh, more runners take that. Um, well, I do now remember somewhat going backwards to the, the tendonitis, uh, but also ties to recovery is that, I think where a lot of runners, especially newer runners or runners that are transitioning from a ski season, um, a non load bearing activity is like, I always say to them, like, you probably are very cardiovascularly fit. I believe you. I don't have a doubt about that, but your tendons and your ligaments are not ready for this type of load because running is such a heavy loaded sport. And so I always get very concerned when I have runners who say they want to do a hundred miler in their first year and they weren't really runners beforehand. Um, or I have an athlete coming off of a ski season. It's like, well, we're, we're going to have to back it off or bike, et cetera, because you're just not ready for that load yet. Um, and so that's just something I wanted to add on of why we see tendonitis and why it's so important to be really cognizant of what you're doing and not just jumping into these massive runs, even if you are cardiovascularly fit. Uh, Alyssa, you bring up a great point there. Um, and, I, and I see that with our really good athletes who have sharpened up their fitness, incredible fitness to a really fine point for that activity. Um, and since I do a lot of skiing sports, um, I see them, I uh, get a lot of calls as they transition then into the spring season. They you go to Moab, your first run is 20 miles on a sandy road because you have the fitness for that, 
but then you deal with, um, you know, a, uh, it friction syndrome for the next three months. Uh, yeah. So, uh, something to be aware of, you get good at what you do, but if you haven't been doing that, and that includes all the impact activity of running, um, because you've been doing other activities at a high level, it still doesn't fully transfer your fitness does your cardiovascular fitness, but your, your, uh, impact and load tolerance, um, is going to be different. Oh, the idea of a, their first effort being a 20 mile Sandy run in Moab just makes me cringe. <laughs> well, yeah, it, yeah, it happens. Yeah. It was a family member. And, um, uh, even though she's a, uh, yeah, world-class athlete, things can, bad things can happen. I mean, unfortunately, sometimes we have to learn of the mistake and to realize, nope, we can't do that. Got to be a little more patient. Can't cure dumb, but uh, we can learn. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully, hopefully we're not trying to cure that too much with athletes, more just, uh, I think you said in the last podcast of curbing over enthusiasm or something along those lines. Well, it's, it's, um, uh, oh yes, is, is a common affliction, uh, with runners and, and uphill athletes and that's over enthusiasm syndrome. Um, so yeah, that'll get the best of us. It's a good thing to have. Uh, but, uh, yeah, needs to be managed. Absolutely. And I will be the first to say I have to check myself on that as well, especially after big events or long events. When you start feeling better, you're like, oh, great. I can just start adding things in. It's like, nope, your body takes a long time to recover and you have to be smart about it. You know, personally, I try to have most of my patients, uh, uh, clients uh, injuries uh, first. Um, so I, I've, uh, yeah, I've suffered through uh uh, not being very smart at things. So hopefully I, I can learn from that. I hope, I hope we all can learn. Yeah. Well, Pete, is there anything else you want to touch on um, or advice you have to offer? Uh, it's amazing what uh, everyone is, is out there doing. Uh, keep at it, get support when you need it, ask questions, tap into the community. Um, but you're, uh, uh, it's, it's very good to have, uh, a robust and active life and it, it pays dividends, uh, down the road. So, um, uh, here's to, a uh, a great, uh, end of summer season here we're going into and looking forward to the snow, which we just had last night. So Ooh, uh, nice. Yeah. And, uh, uh, best, best in health to everyone. Thank you. Well, Pete, are you still doing, you're still doing consultations through Uphill? Yeah, yeah, through Uphill awesome. Athlete. You, you can get, get hold of me through Uphill Athlete page. Awesome. Yeah, so if you'd like to schedule a virtual session or a conversation with Pete, you can do that on the Uphill Athlete website um, and get to chat with him a little bit more. Uh, so thanks, Pete, for being on. This was great. Thanks, Alyssa. Of course. Thank you for listening to the Uphill Athlete Podcast. If you could rate, review, or subscribe uh, on your favorite podcast platform, that really helps us help as many athletes and outdoor enthusiasts as we can. It's not just one, but a community.
we are uphill athlete.